The following Dharma talk was given by Katie Yosha Scott Childress. Yosha is a senior student in the Mountains and Rivers Order, a ceramics artist, and a library director here in the Hudson Valley. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or to find out more about our various programs, visit us online at cmm.org. Thanks for listening. Noble friends. <clears throat> This is from the Middle Length Discourses of the Buddha, number 131, the Bhattakarata Sutta, One Fortunate Attachment. Thus I have heard the Blessed One said, Bhikkhus, I shall teach you the summary and exposition of one who has one fortunate attachment. Let not a person revive the past or on the future build his hopes, for the past has been left behind and the future has not yet been reached. Instead, with insight, let him see each presently arisen state. Let him know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today the effort must be made Tomorrow, death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently, relentlessly, by day, by night, it is he, the peaceful sage has said, who has one fortunate attachment. This is from the Pali Canon which is a large collection of writings that's considered the original teachings of the Buddha, the actual words of the historical Buddha himself. And um, they were written down several hundred years after he lived. So, um, and the language they were written in was called Pali. It's an ancient Indian language. And so the teachings... Um, can be uh, repetitive so that they're easy to memorize or um, memorize orally. Um, And this short verse is also easy to memorize. So that's how these things got passed down back in the day. Um, This translation that I read is uh, by Bhikkhu Namamoli, um, who was a Theravadan monk and um, did extensive English translations of the Pali Canon. Uh, and then he died in his mid-50s. And um, Bhikkhu Bodhi, um, who was another Theravadan monk, um, revised and edited all these translations and brought them to publication for us to enjoy. Um, and uh, so I, I love the translation, and I am going to take some liberty with the pronouns, switching them up so that we can all be included in this. Um, so uh, I see this verse as being a, a straightforward, st- straightforward practice instruction um, that we can uh, use with our minds when we're sitting zazen. 
Because where do we go when we're sitting on our cushions, but into the, into the past and into the future when we're not in the present, which is a lot of the time. Um, and the verse begins, let not a person revive the past or in the, on the future build their hopes, for the past has been left behind and the future has not yet been reached. The exposition for this verse says, how does one revive the past? Thinking, I had such material form in the past, one finds delight in that. Thinking, I had such feelings in the past, I had such perception in the past, I had such formations in the past, I had such consciousness in the past, one finds delight in that. That is how one revives the past. So the Buddha is taking us through the skandhas, or aggregates, which are the building blocks of reality as we know it. And as we're reviving the past, the Buddha explains, we're taking delight in creating these scenes in our minds. And I think that this this translation, this teaching is interesting because of explaining this tendency as a delight. Because we normally associate suffering with some kind of anguish, um, or at least a feeling of dissatisfaction. But in this kind of suffering, we're actually in a sort of state of delight. Because we're doing what our magical mind can do, which is go any place and create anything that we want. Um, But, of course, it's setting us up for a lot of dissatisfaction because things never turn out the way that we want them to. And um, also just dissatisfaction with the present because how can it measure up? with everything that we imagine in the future, in the past. So, you know, when we find something that delights us and makes us happy, um, it can become habit-forming. And um, we are creatures of habit, so we develop these habits, and then we can't really stop doing them even if we want to. And that's why practice can be really hard. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh translated this commentary in a more accessible language. He said, uh, What do we mean by pursuing the past? When someone considers the way her body was in the past, the way her feelings were in the past, the way her perceptions were in the past, the way her mental formations were in the past, the way her consciousness was in the past. When she considers these things and her mind is burdened by and attached to these things which belong to the past, then that person is pursuing the past. So Thich Nhat Hanh is saying that the mind is burdened and attached to things. And he's alluding to this taking delight But to me, it's not as helpful 
because um, being told not to do something that um, is not pleasurable is kind of easy. It's easy for me to give up things that aren't pleasurable. But being told to give up something that I find pleasure in is challenging, right? Um, so the exposition goes on and explains uh, the way to not revive the past. Um, I had such material form in the past, I had such feeling, etc. And then one does not take delight in that. When you think of it. So the exposition about building our hopes on the future is pretty much the same as the past. We project ourselves into the future and we take delight in imagining how our body will be, how everything will be in the future. And it's, it's a pleasing place to hang out. And, um, so the question is, how do we stop that? Taking delight in this. Um, how does that become one fortunate attachment? The Dalai Lama wrote in the commentary on verse 4 of the 37 verses of the Bodhisattva, when one stops distraction to external objects and stops thinking about things which occurred in the past, stops thinking about things that might occur in the future, and gradually develops stability to lengthen that space in which you are not thinking about the past, not thinking about the future, then the luminous and cognitive nature of mind tends to appear in and of itself. Sounds pretty good. Um, it, it seems like such a simple teaching, right? Let go of the past and don't fantasize about the future. Just do it, okay? But I, I find it really difficult to practice. I'll own that. I find it really difficult. Um, I, I do spend a lot of time building hopes on the future. And um, I find myself trying to fix things all the time. Fixing whatever is going to try and make things better. And then sort of fixing them in my mind. Um, and it, it delights me, right? Because problems get fixed, at least in my mind. Um, but then reality isn't fixed. And so I'm always disappointed um, when I spend my time doing this. And I'm not engaged with what's going on around me inside of me. I'm off somewhere in the future. And it's a magical place. Um, So the verse goes on, Instead, with insight, let her see each presently arisen state. Let her know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. 
With insight, let her see each presently arisen state. The exposition of this part starts with asking how a person is vanquished in regard to presently arisen states. So in other words, um, they're overwhelmed with what's going on in the present. The Buddha um, explained, an untaught ordinary person who has no regard for noble ones and is unskilled and undisciplined in their dhamma regards material form as self or self as possessed of material form or material form as in self or self as in material form. He regards feeling as self, perception as self, formations as self, consciousness as self, or self possessed of consciousness. This is how one is vanquished in regard to presently arisen states. So how is one invincible in regard to presently arisen states? Here, a well-taught noble disciple who has regard for noble ones and is skilled, etc., does not regard material form as self, does not regard feeling as self, perception as self, etc. So I, I love the passive voice construction of this presently arisen state. Passive voice is something that maybe an English teacher told you never to use. The car was crashed, something like that. Um, The state is arisen. You won't find anyone who arose it. It is arisen. This thought is arisen. You won't even find a thinker who arose it. It's arisen. You're seeing it. Um, So... Things arise according to conditions. This body is a presently arisen state. No inherent self. I think feelings are probably one of the hardest things not to identify ourselves with. When I feel sad, I... It's hard to to not say that's mine. But the Buddha would say, an unpleasant feeling has arisen. And I practice this quite a bit when I have feelings that are hard to bear. Um, And, you know, often I'll be going along and notice that I'm really distressed for some reason. I just, I feel really bad. And um, I'll reflect, you know, an unpleasant feeling has arisen. Why? What are the conditions? And I'll think, you know, I just read a really disturbing article. And then I went on to do some cooking or something, and I brought all of that upset and consternation right over there with me. And then, you know, maybe 
I got mad at somebody because I was already churning, not seeing this state that had arisen you know, because of reading this disturbing news or having a disturbing conversation or watching a disturbing movie, whatever it is. You know, we take it with us um, and need to be aware of that as these things come up. Because they're in our bodies, but we're not always attuned to them. We, we believe, I'm sad, I have a problem, I need to fix the problem. Rather than, there is an unpleasant feeling that has arisen. So, seeing also that these difficult feelings and states are temporary. They don't live anywhere. They don't have any fixed anything about them, even though they feel really heavy and really real while they're happening. Um, is also a really important piece of seeing into that um, when I look at the floor in front of me, you know, I, I think, well, that's floor, and I'm over here. And it seems so solid. But you can look at the floor and you can see, well, this was a tree. And this tree was an acorn. And this acorn was a flower. And this flower was a bud. And this bud was a branch. And this branch was part of a tree that had roots in the soil and came to being with water and air and light. And each thing was a presently arisen state. Right now, we call that a floor, and we call this me. But it's all presently arisen states that have had other states that have presently arisen. They're changing all the time. This will become water and earth, dust energy, keep changing states. Being invincible in regard to presently arisen states, the the Buddha uses this series of negations, right? That um, saying... uh, negating all of the skandhas. Um, This feeling is without self. This consciousness is is without self. This perception is without self. 
which is what the Heart Sutra does, right? No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. No perception, conception, discrimination. No, no. No realm of sight. So, instead with insight, let her see each presently arisen state. Let her know that and be sure of it. Invincibly, unshakably. When we do zazen, we can slow down the stream of thoughts and see a presently arisen state. Such an important thing to um, such an important thing to uh, not identify with these states because when we identify with them we believe everything we see we believe that people are doing things on purpose to annoy us we believe that we're alone and that we're not connected to other people. We believe all kinds of things. And we think that we have to fix something, something that can't be broken. So the verse goes on, Today the effort must be made, tomorrow death may come. Who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. So when we consider all of the conditions that have made it possible for us to be here today, there are innumerable, innumerable factors that have made it possible for us to be here today. And it is so fortunate to have this day to practice together and so rare, and so precious. I think we really have to believe that we are going to die much sooner than we think. Really believe it. Because otherwise we, we won't make this effort. So it goes on, But one who dwells thus ardently relentlessly, by day, by night. It is he, the peaceful sage, has said, who has one fortunate attachment. So dwelling ardently. Ardency is describing the the bodhicitta of the bodhisattva. It's practicing for the benefit and liberation of all beings. I think that um, people can read things uh, about Buddhism or even read something like this and think that it's sort of philosophical or it's about a concentration practice. But without this really heartfelt um, desire to benefit others, it really isn't 
what the Buddha was teaching. Um, And I think that sometimes gets lost along the way. So the verse ends, Relentlessly by day, by night, it is she, the peaceful sage, has said, who has one fortunate attachment. So what is the one fortunate attachment? Since we're trying to get rid of our attachments. I read a book recently that was about the addictive nature of technology, especially new technology. Um, And it talked quite a bit about behavioral addictions, which are quite similar to substance addictions, but they're much easier to hide. Um, There's a new Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma um, that interviews software engineers from uh, Google and Facebook, YouTube, so on. And um, they talk about how we people who are using this technology and hold this device like it's my phone or tablet or laptop, um, we're no match for the thousands of people who are on the other side of that screen designing the experience that we're having. And the reason that this um, is so addictive is because they've designed it that way. I mean, we're, we're kind of simple creatures in the way that we seek pleasure and approval. And so when we get a notification Somebody liked your photo. Somebody commented on your photo. We, we can't resist that. Ding, a text. Wait, what? Somebody, somebody wants to talk to me? I'm so interested, right? You've got mail. What? Who? And like, we have become like Pavlov's dog, right? Ding. <laughs> you know, we, and it's really, um, it's really a serious thing because it, it changes us. Um, but it also, you know, points to the fact that we now live in um, what's been called an attention economy. So all these companies are vying for our attention, to our eyeballs and, and our absorption. That's what they want, right? This precious thing. That's our life. And we give it to them without even knowing that we've given it away. So, um, I wonder with this one fortunate attachment if we can use some of our inclination to be attached to things that are pleasurable and really, um, you know, tr- turn this toward this presently arisen state, this dharma, this body, this luminous cognitive nature of mind, as the Dalai Lama put it. Um, 
when I began practicing meditation, it was hard. It was hard to, to, to sit for 20, 30 minutes because my mind was all over the place. And I also had a lot of sadness that I just felt like I couldn't face. But it would be too much, too heavy. And so this is a practice. We practice and we sit down over and over again. And little by little, like a drop of water melting a rock, it changes. This presently arisen state changes. This, this presently arisen state, all of it changes. Our view changes. And um, for me, you know, practice is like food. I need it like I need to breathe. Right? So maybe that's one fortunate attachment. Um, the Bhattakarata Sutta, Bhattakarata, the word uh, apparently, which is the title of this um, sutta, sutra, um, was not common in, in the Pali language. And so there's been a lot of um, kind of controversy over what it means. And thus the title of this sutra has been translated differently, quite differently, by different people. Um, they think it might have been an idiomatic phrase that the Buddha appropriated for this teaching or something he made up. Um, but they, you know, can't go back 2,500 years and ask anybody on the street what was meant by it. Uh, so Thich Nhat Hanh translated this as the sutra on knowing the better way to live alone. Which yeah, is, is beautiful, and, and um, so I'll, I'll read you his translation of the verse. Um, do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is, in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. We must be diligent today. To wait till tomorrow is too late. Death comes unexpectedly. How can we bargain with it? The sage calls a person who dwells in mindfulness night and day the one who knows the better way to live alone. He's a master, so what can we say? I think that's beautifully translated. Um, He explains uh, the reason for his translation and that it's not so much about dwelling alone, um, but again, the way that you practice. Uh, He says, uh, knowing how to live alone doesn't mean you have to live in solitude in in a cave, separated from other people. If we sit alone in a cave, lost in our thinking, we aren't really living alone. 
Living alone means living to have sovereignty over ourselves, to have the freedom that comes from not being dragged away by the past, not living in fear of the future, and not being pulled around by strong emotions caused by the circumstances of the present. Um, another translation by Thanissaro Bhikkhu calls the sutra an auspicious day and also makes a good argument for why it should be this title. Um, so I'll read you his verse uh, as well because it's um, got its merits. Uh, you shouldn't chase after the past or place expectations on the future. What, what is past is left behind. The future is as yet unreached. Whatever quality is present, you clearly see it right there, right there. Not taken in, unshaken, that's how you develop the heart. Ardently doing what should be done for today, for who knows, tomorrow, death. There is no bargaining with mortality and his mighty hoard. Whoever lives thus ardently, relentlessly, both day and night, has truly had an auspicious day. So says the peaceful sage. Can we make this an auspicious day? Do we have any other day? So, the verse and the explication of the sutra are repeated in three subsequent sutras in the Pali Canon with a different setup. So in the original setup, the Buddha gets up and um, delivers this to the assembly. Um, In another version, a monk named Samidhi was at the hot springs where the Buddha was living. It says, When it was near dawn, the venerable Samiti went to the hot springs to bathe his limbs. After bathing, he came up out of the water and stood dressed in one robe, drying his limbs. Then, when the night was well advanced, a certain deity of beautiful appearance who illuminated the whole of the hot springs approached the venerable Samiti and said to him, Do you remember the exposition of one who has one fortunate attachment? Friend, I do not remember the summary and exposition. And then the deity tells Samiti to learn the summary. And the the deity says, he asks the deity, deity, do you remember it? And the deity says, no, I don't remember it. So the deity tells him to go to the Buddha and to um, master it, remember it. Uh, And so Samiti goes to the Buddha. The Buddha says the verse, and then he leaves. And then Mahakakana, who is like the most venerable um, of his disciples, has to explain, do the, the explanation. But it's pretty much the same as the one that the Buddha did. And then in another version of it, um, 
it starts with uh, when the night was well advanced, Dandana, a young deity, or Kand, sorry, Kandana, a young deity of beautiful appearance who illuminated the whole of Negrota Park, approached the venerable Lomasakanjia. Standing to one side, Kandana, the young deity, said to him, Bhikkhu, do you remember, remember the summary and exposition of one who has had one fortunate attachment? So both of these have this beautiful, radiant deity, right? And I can't help but think that this is done to help aid memory, right? Because if you think about if you were in the shower and, you know, just luxuriating, you're feeling so good, and, uh, you know, you step out and grab your towel and start drying off. And then out of the steam comes this beautiful, radiant deity, right? Like, I, whatever that will mean to you. It's incredible. And they say to you, do you remember the summary and exposition <laughs> of the one who has one fortunate attachment? Like, no. (laughs) Remember. Remember. Like, make it, make it juicy if you have to. Remember. Set the scene so that you'll have to come back. Um, I think that's what, you know, when he's saying relentlessly by day, by night, you know, we go take the shower and we're just feeling so good, thinking about what we're going to do that day. And, you know, he's bringing us back to this presently arisen state. With insight, let her see each presently arisen state. So, I'll uh, end with the end of the Diamond Sutra because I think it sums up all of this presently arisen state so beautifully. Thus shall you think of this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Zen Mountain Monastery is live-streaming all Dharma Talks and daily Zazen during the coronavirus quarantine? Visit our website to learn about all the online programs being offered at this time. Just go to zmm.org and click on the link at the very top of the page, or scroll down and click on Retreats.